Welcome to This Is You, the podcast. As our journeys unfold, so do our identities. What makes you, you? This podcast explores how different life experiences, concepts, or themes like friendship, religion, loneliness, impact how we see ourselves and the world. Join me on this journey as we talk to new guests and learn about their life experiences, reflect on our own, and see what it means for all of us going forward. Your journey to learn more begins now. Sonia is a Canadian-born Pakistani and the second of three children, also known as a middle child. She graduated from York University in 2017, during which she worked for me for two years as a work-study student. Sonia currently works at a health regulatory body as a project administrator. In today's conversation, Sonia and I actually both talk about our experience being middle children. So we talk about middle child syndrome, how being a middle child has led to certain tendencies such as people-pleasing, wanting to be peacemakers, feeling neglected, and really trying to figure out a role in our families. We basically grew up as a typical first-generation immigrant family. Um, I'm the second of three children, so I have an older sister and a younger brother, and we're all four years apart. So my sister is four years older than me, and I'm four years older than my brother. Middle child syndrome, I think it's funny because, you know, there's there seems to be some sort of a debate around this. And some people think it's a myth, but I think it's only middle children who really advocate for it and say, no, it's a real thing. Let's destigmatize this. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is. I think that we sort of grow up with this sense of, you know, independence. That's something I've talked about a lot. Middle children do tend to be more independent because we're we're given the space. Mm. And, and I think that space comes from well, the oldest is basically responsible for a lot of things that, you know, it's it's a lot of responsibility for, for a kid. The youngest is protected by, by one or more siblings. So, you know, you have that space to sort of just observe and then you can delegate to the younger sibling or you can choose how to delegate if you didn't like how your older sibling delegated to you. And, you know, you start to sort of create an identity for yourself as well, because every child plays a different role and you're really just trying to find the role that you play. So is it the oldest, the responsible one or the baby? It's it's neither. So yeah. where do you fit? And so you're just trying to create your own identity. But yeah, independence has always been a thing. Um, it's also been, you know, I have an interesting relationship with both of my siblings. It's an interesting dynamic. But for the most part, I think you always grow up with the sense of like, you know, I've always sort of done things myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and I don't know about you, but that's just been something that's very prevalent in my idea. Although that's not entirely true. It's also my idea of middle child syndrome has changed recently because I'm more aware of certain complexities and nuances that I was ignorant to before. But yeah, for the most part, I just want to definitely put out there, middle child syndrome is a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I agree with you that it's a thing. And actually, I looked up, I was like, what will I find if I look up middle child syndrome as a definition? Okay, so I found two, and they basically say the same thing, but I'm going to share them with you. So one of them comes from Wikipedia, it says middle child syndrome is a feeling of exclusion by middle children. This effect occurs because the first child is more prone to receiving privileges and responsibilities by virtue of being the oldest, while the youngest in the family is more likely to receive indulgences. The second or middle child no longer has their status as a baby and is left with no clear role in the family or a feeling of being left out. Mm. And the second one came from Urban Dictionary. And 
it basically said a lot of the same things. But for me anyway, I related to some of the examples they talked about. So they said middle child syndrome is when a child is born in between other child and feels neglected. The middle mm-hmm. child is faced with challenges such as feeling like nothing, uh, not worthy, no one caring, etc. The older child gets a lot of attention and gets everything first. Sometimes they're seen as the most dependable people in mm-hmm. the eyes of family and parents. And the youngest child is also known as the baby and they get more attention. And the child with most attention also gets away with more stuff and <laughs> usually has less discipline. So the middle child is usually left without anything. And people tend to not notice they're there. Or, <laughs> 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 or they end up feeling left out or forgotten. So this is uh, someone's definition, right? They go, wow. parents don't usually focus on their needs, only in dire emergencies. Middle children seek love and happiness through friends and become social butterflies. But through neglect by the parents, and the child drifts away and becomes a loner with family. So it's like, you know, the person who wrote this definition for Urban Dictionary sounds like experienced a bunch of things that they they talked about here and for me i've also experienced a bunch of those things but i can also relate to what you were just saying that as i've gotten older i've seen more of the nuances that come into play especially as i became a parent myself i realized how hard being a parent is Mm -hmm. Uh, and now that i'm about to have my second child i won't have a middle child unless i have a third which i don't think i'm gonna do (laughs) but i don't want to put that on my second baby (laughs) But anyway, but, you know, even thinking about the first and the second, how you balance that piece, it's so much more complicated than I understood it to be. But this feeling of being left out or neglected, and you kind of talk about the independence to sort of find your identity and sort of having to figure it out because the attention is not necessarily placed on you. Yeah. I think one of the things I have felt a lot is trying to people please. It's been a big part of my personality, like the bridge between the two siblings, trying to like have everyone get along. So what has that been Mm -hmm. like for you? No, I think people pleasing is, has definitely been a big part of my identity, especially in the earlier days, right? Like when I was like really young, I just didn't want anyone to feel left out. So I have trouble sort of differentiating if it's because I'm the middle child. I think that's definitely a huge contributing factor. I think there's just general sensitivity that exists, you know, between me and my siblings as well. Like we tend to be very sensitive people. But yeah, peacemakers for sure. I think people who like just natural coordinators of things and just making sure that, you know, everyone's sort of doing okay. And the people pleasing also sort of carried over to friendships Mm. as well too right and again it kind of comes down to learning boundaries and all that some stuff that you don't really understand especially being in the role of a middle child mm-hmm. um yeah so with people pleasing that's definitely been something that's that I've struggled with for a really long time I just want to also talk about the second definition with neglect and I think that that's something that every middle child has experienced in some capacity like neglect just becomes the term and so when you bring that up with your family it's not to say that oh parents you love me less (laughs) and I think it's just about you know feeling like you weren't heard like the neglect sort of comes from this space of doesn't seem like it was an equal opportunity for everyone to sort of say what they want to say there was more emphasis or more value placed on what you know the eldest said and understandable in some respects but I think that it's really important for every child to sort of feel like, yeah, I know what role I play or I am being heard, even if it's not like entirely considered. Just creating the space where everyone sort of feels like, yeah, I can weigh in and I can feel engaged with whatever is going on. 
so the neglect isn't like you know unequal love distribution it's just more about uh, my voice was sort of neglected Hmm. I so I think that's interesting because I think for a long time I perceived it as less love for me that I wasn't as valuable or you know worthy or whatever insert sad definition here (laughs) um I think though in actuality it was not knowing what my place was so similar to what you were saying not really knowing what role I played in the family and like what I've learned as a parent is that you can sort of give your attention wherever it's needed because there's so many things going on in your mind all the time and so you try to give your attention equally but it's sort of on like whatever is most pressing or most emergent <laughs> right yeah and and that's where you're sort of dealing with it And I think what ends up happening sometimes is your oldest child is going through the phases first. So they have certain needs. You've never dealt with those needs before. So Mm -hmm. you're sort of hyper aware of what those things are because it's new for you. And then your baby is your baby in the sense that, you know, you're sort of sensitive to they're still learning stuff. They're still growing. You sort of mellowed out by the time there's a third, you know, and so you're sort of kind of aware of what they need. But in the middle, you're sort of not the baby. You're not the eldest. And so it's trying to figure out, yeah, you know, your needs may not be articulated. You may not know how to articulate your needs. Or you might be really different from your siblings. And then it's difficult sometimes to figure out, well, how do I give you what you need? Even if I know what that is, mm-hmm. right? Like you may mm-hmm. not even know what that is. <laughs> so I relate to that. And then I think the other part actually is, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like I had people tell me that I didn't matter because I was the middle child. Like, literally, like, yeah, you know, and I think, you know, they were sort of young-ish themselves. And sometimes in our culture, I think people just say stuff and they don't think of how that might affect someone. This wasn't coming from a place of joking. It was a... I don't know. So I have an older brother who's six years older and a sister who's seven years younger. And so I remember when my sister was about to be born, or like in the very early days, maybe, you know, within the first year or so... I had people in my extended family say things to me like, oh, you're the middle child. Nobody cares about you now. And like, you're not Mm. important and Mm -hmm. all of this sort of stuff. I don't think they were seriously thinking about what they were saying. They were like teenagers. And I think our culture too, sometimes is like people say stuff, you just take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. That's how my parents grew up. People said stuff to them all the time. And it's like, they just didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or they really cared and they said nothing, but they didn't touch who they were. You know what I mean? But for me, I was yeah, impressionable. Yeah, yeah. I think what happens is sometimes if you have a core belief, you then see things that prove that core belief instead of things that don't prove that core belief, right? And that could be anything. And so when you're sort of primed this way, you start to see instances where you feel like, oh, yeah, that proves that that's the case. Even mm-hmm. though there might be instances that don't, but you may not pay attention to those things. You know what I mean? 100%. So yeah. I think that sort of plays a role in it too for me. And I had to learn how to do a lot of stuff on my own. I had my brother was amazing and he was very supportive and I learned a lot from him, but I was mm-hmm. very different from him, similar to how you're different from your sister. And so navigating well, who am I? (laughs) You know, and all of that was really hard. That's similar for me as well. The eldest has paved a certain path and it's tested and tried. So the parents trust that path too. But for you, you start sort of becoming a little bit more cognizant of, well, 
is this the path for me as well? Or will this work for me as an individual? Because again, you've, you've had that space to really think about yourself, mm. you know, at, a, at an individual capacity. And then you start questioning things, right? And this naturally, it's just become a part of who you are because you're figuring so many things out on yourself or it feels like it. So then the path that's already been paved for you, you're going to question, should I even follow that path? Mm-hmm. Um, and that plays a big part in developing your own personal identity. And also coming back to your comment on articulating needs, I find middle children tend to be also the best communicators. Yeah. We really, we really work on that art of being able to, you know, choose the correct words <laughs> to, <laughs> that really, really speak to how we feel. Um, so that's definitely a plus point. <laughs> it serves you in a lot of ways. Hire a middle child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have excellent communication and skills. And great coordination skills too. Don't forget about that part. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So when you talk about paving your own path, can you give me an example of something where your sister created a particular path, but then you found yourself thinking, I'm not sure if I want to be on this path. I want to be maybe on a different path. I I can give you a very simple illustrative example. So let's talk about university courses, right? So my sister, she did a BSc from York University in biology. So she's like all about science. And also I want to mention for a big chunk of my life, you know, my sister has been also the role model, the inspiration. She's, you know, from when I was really young, like a child and saying, well, before I was a teenager, the way she did things just became very ideal for me. And I wanted to emulate that in my own life. But then as I became a teenager, I started to question a lot of things. And, you know, even just one illustrative example, again, is the university pathway. So when I started to go to university or when I was applying to go to university, yeah, York University seemed to be the more viable option because, again, tested and tried also a lot closer. So (laughs) that's another plus point. Um, But a BSc or biology, is that really for me? And I did apply for certain um, BSc degrees, but I also knew that I didn't quite want to do, I didn't want to do science. I was conflicted between science and business. I didn't want to do a full out business degree because in my mind at the time, it was sort of like, you know, I don't want to just be pumped out into the system of, you know, the corporate world and capitalism. I was just really like, not about that. Um, so I was like, how can I just find that balance between doing meaningful work or saying something meaningful, but also honing on the skills that I have that I feel like are more geared towards a business or my skills just sort of spoke more towards like the business side of things. So that's why I chose what I chose, which is Bachelor of Health Studies, specializing in health management. And this is an, a completely unconventional, like no one really knows what that is. Yes. So the amount of times I had to really explain why I'm doing this or what this degree is really about was just insane, especially in our community. So one person once asked me, are you going to be a food inspector? And I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) you know, all respect to food inspector, but I'm trying to just learn about the healthcare system and how to bring efficiencies into it. And that was just like, what? (laughs) So yeah, for, for most people, it's just kind of like really dichotomous. It's either science or hundred percent business or engineering or, you know, law like it's not really like a mishmash and again so that's something that I had to really just believe in Mm. at an individual level be like yeah no I know I feel good about this choice and I know why I'm doing this there's a reason why I'm doing this I thought about this it's not just because it's easier to explain to people or people might think you're a food inspector when you're just trying to work as a health administrator 
it's about, you know, really owning this decision. Mm-hmm. So that's just like one smaller scale example. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, as I progressed throughout adulthood or my teenage years and throughout university, I did choose paths and I did make decisions that were completely outside of that, the path that my sister paved or that cookie cutter life that I was told was the best way to live life. Mm-hmm. So two of the things that you said that I relate to, one was your sister was your role model. My brother, I idolized him when I was a kid. I would tell everybody he's like this tall on this building. I was like so much shorter than he was. So in my mind, he was like huge, right? So I would tell people that and I wanted all of his old stuff. I wanted to be just like him. And I would like follow him wherever he went. It didn't necessarily shift as I became a teenager. I think what happened for me and him was that we're also very different. And some of those differences, I think, became more prominent as we've gotten older and it continued to become more prominent. Uh, my brother is like, a lot less emotional than I am, for example, right? Like I can talk about my feelings all the time, <laughs> right? That's why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> but um, but my brother is a lot more like my parents, I think, where he he doesn't read into things that much, you know? He feels pretty solid in certain core feelings or beliefs that he has. And so things don't face him in the same sort of way. And he's much more likely to be like, have things roll off his back and need to be like, mm-hmm know that actually deeply affected me and so I think uh in that sense I felt that way um but I definitely idolized him as well and wanted to be just like him the other part of your story actually that's really relatable to me is you know picking a path that people don't understand so like I did my undergrad in HR and even I didn't know what that was (laughs) first year (laughs) Uh, my cousin's wife actually recommended HR to me because I was torn between psychology and business Mm. in high school. And uh, she was like, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people and there's a business aspect to it. And, you know, maybe you might be interested. And so I thought, okay, like I looked into a little bit. Um, But at that time, so this is like 15 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) My God, I can't believe that. Okay. When I started my undergrad, not when I finished. I'm not that old. Okay. (laughs) But anyway, when I started my undergrad, it's about 15 years ago. And at that time, especially nobody knew what HR was. And so trying to explain what my undergrad was in, especially to like extended family or anybody, they, they did just they just didn't understand. And yeah. then, you know, what I chose as a career working in higher education, working in university, also not easily to explain and very difficult. <laughs> so are you a prof? No, I'm not a prof. So then what are you? And it's like, well, you know. I help people develop skills related to leadership. I coordinate different support programs, blah, blah, blah. And you could just see their eyes glaze over because they did not understand what I was talking about, right? (laughs) I I couldn't blame them either because it was like, I didn't know those jobs existed, Mm. right? Like, unless you work in that field, you don't really have an awareness that, oh, yeah, these jobs exist. People do this stuff. universities are not just profs and presidents and students right there's a whole line of staff that are holding up the institution as well and so um i found that part really hard and it actually relates a little bit to people pleasing i think the part it was very frustrating for me to not be able to explain what i was doing and have people understand because i did want people to feel proud of what i was pursuing and because of the people pleasing sort of aspect of my personality and so when I wasn't able to, that was sort of hard for me. 
you know. Uh, I think on the flip side, I when it came to my career, I was given a lot of free reign to do whatever I felt like doing and to pursue. Um, mm-hmm. You know, coming, my parents were immigrants. They came to Canada, and you know, they hadn't gone through a school system, so there was a lot of like, you know, so you figure out what you want to do and you do you type of a thing. Right. Right. Uh, you know, obviously within certain constraints, right? But generally speaking, <laughs> yeah. generally speaking, I had a lot of freedom to just choose whatever profession I wanted. So I had a lot of support in that way. But I think I do feel frustrated sometimes in my non-ability to explain what I do in <laughs> a short sentence where people <laughs> understand what I do. Yeah. Uh, so I can relate. That's really not an elevator pitch. Um, it's gonna, you're gonna have no, to sit down for a few No, totally. Let me explain this to you. Yeah. Next, Sonia and I talk about arranged marriage and why it might be particularly difficult to go through the arranged marriage process if you're a middle child. So, first of all, there's this idea that this girl who is at marriageable age, she's done school. She might want to do more school, but I don't really care. She's like. 22 plus so she's marriage ready and I know some people who might be good for her so I'm just going to play middle person there's people who like to play middle and I don't think that that's bad I think that that can help a lot of individuals but the people playing middle should be very very mindful and careful they should know both parties at a very personal level so that they're not really like subjecting people to any awkwardness or any sort of hurt So I don't think, so that's kind of point one. Um, People have not quite been mindful. They don't really know me that well. They just see the outwardly stuff and they see the outwardly stuff on the other party and they're like, oh, this could work. Let's give this a shot. Um, So anyways, you know, you, they try to introduce certain to the two parties. Um, The two parties don't meet face to face. It's really just, okay, a phone call between the parents and then it's exchanging bio data <laughs> <laughs> what's in your bio data sonia oh goodness i i didn't even i got my sister to make it because i was just like i can't believe this is happening you just do it i don't even care um so <laughs> she made it for me but anyway so the girl tends to receive the picture of the guy and his bio data first okay the picture doesn't really matter how accurate it is it's just you get what you get right and you whatever. So you make your decision on that. If it's something that you want to sort of try, then you give the guy's mother a call and then she asks for the girl's biodata. So when you send biodata, you should send something similar to what you received, right? So if I received a picture of a guy and it's just kind of like, you know, his face is looking in a different direction. It's kind of not really clear, but I get a sense of what he looks like, you know, just like a whatever, Although Wait. that's a really shallow way to evaluate someone. Hold on, hold mm-hmm. on. Are you saying the picture that you got was like a, you know, a picture somebody might post on a dating profile where it's like I'm not quite sure what they look like exactly. Like it's like a, you know. I, I mean, you know how you can just sort of see this person. Like you, you know that okay. Like there's two eyes and nose and a mouth and a head and a body, right? So <laughs> you not basically accurate. <laughs> Okay, so the picture that you received yeah. was sort of, you couldn't fully make out like this person's features or whatever. Like It wasn't the most clear. It was just a very regular picture, but please note the fact that it was slightly blurry and also he was not looking directly at the camera. 
you know, you have higher expectations <laughs> for when you purchase something online. <laughs> where you're like, why are there blurry pictures of this thing that I'm going I'd to like, purchase? I'd like you to hold that idea of purchasing something online. Please hold that. <laughs> um, okay. So anyways, I send pictures of a similar nature. I'm not going to go and send, first of all, my best picture of me from my sister's wedding. Super dolled up, hair curled, makeup did, everything. No. I'm going to send you a very realistic picture of what I look like and That's you know blurry, right? say, it's, you, well yeah. it wasn't like you, you couldn't see like the ridges on my nose but it was enough for you to get a sense of okay this is what this person looks like similar idea so I I and I know that a lot of people tend to send the best pictures that they have of themselves irregardless of what they receive but I was like no let's be a little strategic about this let's actually just send what we got and take it from there we th- and keep in mind, we did not complain about the pictures we received. When I sent my bio data or and and the, the picture, uh, the the next message that we received was, "These pictures are not clear." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, can you?" Pl-? And, and there was a request to please send more, as if people are just entitled to my pictures, as if. My my picture is, or you need to assess, like, what more do you need to assess? This was perfectly good. This was actually much better than what I received. And I still don't even complain because I, A, think it's really shallow to judge someone based off of the way they look. And B, what more do you really need to see? Like, are you trying to, you know what I mean? So, well, really what how this ended up happening was I was like, no, we are not sending more pictures. I am against this. Um, this is wrong at a fundamental level. And whoever was the male person can just tell them that I'm not interested anymore in, in pursuing this further. Um, and, you know, there was a little bit of like back and forth with that. People thought that I was just being a little bit, you know, like this is just part of how things are. Why don't we just send another picture? Let's just see how this goes. Apparently his father and his, you know, his parents were fine with me. He just ha- was like a little bit confused or unsure. And another thing was I was wearing a, a more of a baggy, like a, a baggier shirt, a kurta. Um, so you don't see like the, the physique but he just thought that you know I, I oh is she fat is she not and I'm like wow you're so shallow <laughs> that's literally no literally that is what was the thought process from the other party and so I was like nope this cannot go forward and I'm like this is just so that ended and I just thought to myself this is pathetic like this this if this is what people have to go through if this is a sense of entitlement people engage in this process if you have a very specific way or specific criteria just go and look for someone yourself right don't just like hand out your biodatas to everyone who will forward your biodatas and and then you're going to sit there and assess people and then if you don't like something minor then you're just going to make them feel like crap about themselves you know what i mean so i was just it really got me thinking about just the system as a whole and this doesn't obviously a lot of people have different experiences with arranged marriage my sister had arranged marriage it worked out perfectly it worked out beautifully um it works for a lot of people but i think that there is an inherent sense of entitlement there is an inherent feeling of crappy you know that comes with it okay so i can i can i can understand what you're saying about like it's actually very vulnerable to put your picture out there like that and that Someone is just basing you on your picture, whether they, I mean, essentially it's like swiping right or swiping left, right? Like this is, this is, but because it's parents and another person and everything else, it feels even more 
like personal your family's involved like and if they don't go forward it feels really awkward like why didn't it go forward etc so I get that part I think the part that I'm more not on the fence about because I get what you're saying but maybe there's another side to it is the looks piece so I think attraction is like important right like whenever (laughs) even if you were like walking somewhere and you saw somebody I think our minds make a split second sort of reaction as to whether this person is attractive to us or not right and sometimes some people become attractive as you get to know them as well and and vice versa sometimes you meet somebody who is attractive and they start to talk and they become less attractive to you (laughs) you know it's happened to you before but you know based on whatever it is that's important to you right so based on what they're saying etc so I understand wanting a clearer picture. I think you should also have the right to ask for a clearer picture. Like it should be the same uh, yes. expectation both ways. Mm-hmm. And that part, I think I would have a problem with as well. That why are you sending me this like blurry, you know, incomplete sort of picture, but then expecting from me that I send something that's like accurate, right? Like then accuracy yeah. should be both ways. So I agree with that, that it should be equal. But I don't know if... I know what you're saying. Like, people are allowed to feel attracted to whoever they are. And that's fair. I agree with that 100%. You don't actually touch on this part as much of what you were saying, but I think it may be playing a role. And correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think one of the things that I've noticed is that culturally, it seems like for a guy, the emphasis is placed on his education. Mm. If If it's on... And his job right Mm. if it's on a physical thing normally it's height but it's not like how they look so the fact that they sent you a you know blurry picture or whatever it's like but we gave you the information on what is really important that you might be looking for in a guy right quote unquote but for a girl (laughs) the standard is sort of like the buy data matters in terms of your age Mm. maybe in terms of your education although depends on the person Mm -hmm. right but really they're looking at your picture that's yeah. what you know the emphasis is placed on right so it feels more personal because it's like you're just basing me off my looks you're not really getting to know me as a person mm-hmm. i'm just reduced to this picture the same thing happens for guys as well where they're just reduced to stats yeah but the stats don't feel as offensive in some ways as a physical sort of like yeah like you know like uh, a rejection in that way um and so I don't know if that's playing a role in how you felt about it. Which this. is why, again, like, it's not just about questioning the situation. I'm never going to say that, you know, these people were evil. But, you know, it's just questioning, like, the process as a whole, right? Like, people are engaging in this without really putting a lot of thought into it and how it can Im- impact people. It's the small things that can really impact an individual. And not everyone's kind of going in this with a really casual way of thinking there they actually you know when I send you a picture of me that's a huge thing to me I can't not think about the fact that like you know you are assessing me on something and without having any context to me as an individual so yeah and the way I was going about it also was how do I not do injustice to this guy as well right. if I'm holding them to a certain standard to treat me a certain way it's because I want to treat this individual to that same standard as well yeah. you know I don't want to make him feel crappy because of whatever and I think it's just maybe it's a cultural societal thing. It's also just the way the system of this whole, you know, arranged marriage thing works. But, you know, you have to have 
thick skin. And people just, there's an element of sensitivity that just inherently doesn't exist in our society. We, as you mentioned earlier, you're supposed to take things as a grain of salt and not read too deeply into it. But that doesn't work for a lot of people who do do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting for me, this ties back into the middle child thing as well, because as I've talked to other middle children, I've noticed some of the stuff you brought up that I feel like connects to this idea is one, the idea of fairness. Mm -hmm. Like I know fairness for me and things being equal is so important. And I think it comes from maybe feeling that things weren't equal and wanting to make sure that I'm being fair you know, and like whatever I'm doing that I'm being fair. And that's, I think, where some of that stems from. Another thing is like vulnerability and judgment, right? Mm -hmm. So I know for me for a long time, and even now, like there's this fear of being judged or being misunderstood, like someone taking one aspect and not really getting to know what's deeper behind it and just making an impression based on that. And that also, I think, comes from me feeling like I was misunderstood, right? Or like I tried to communicate or I tried to say things, but because I was different or because, you know, maybe I didn't have the same voice in the same way. I had this inner feeling for a long time. Mm -hmm. And putting your picture out there like that, like it is very vulnerable and it feels very personal, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think for other people, and this may not be related to birth order at all, but I think for a lot of people, they may not think about it in that way. Like, it's just sort of like, it's like putting your picture on Tinder or or something else, like on online, whatever, you know? And I think that affects people as well. But I think there are definitely people who it doesn't really bother them. Well, you have to be in that frame of mind where you understand the risks of like what you're doing, right? Like you're, you're prepared for that mentally and emotionally. So it may not even affect you. I think it was just premature for me as well because in my head I didn't quite understand like or how does this even work even though it's such a simple idea and something that we've grown up with and it's, it's been around us but for me when I was actually experiencing it I was like oh my god this is just so like it feels so strange and I just feel so vulnerable to a point where I'm not ready for this and I'm not ready for that I didn't ask for this and so why do I have to go through this unnecessary sort of like thinking and stress and even just pain I wasn't ready for that so it comes back to the whole taking a stand and knowing where where you stand, right, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with these kind of situations. This is just an example, but I think this can be applied to any sort of situation in life where you have to know, like, if you're not ready for this, if you're not in the right frame of mind for this, make this clear to people and stand up for that. I think that it becomes very tempting when the people who you know, you trust, you love, and you care about and the people who love you so much really are like, no, this is fine. This is good. You want to take their advice and you want to go forward with it. But again, advocate for yourself and just express your concerns. I don't think it hurts and it, it'll actually serve you because you know what you're doing is for yourself and it's to protect your own energy, um, which I think is like incredibly important. Remember how I was talking about people pleasing earlier? Mm-hmm. So for me, people pleasing also has to do with, I want people to generally like me. It doesn't mean romantically, but I mean, like me as a person, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't go the arranged marriage route. And this wasn't, this was a part of why, but a part, not really a part of why. But I think if I had gone through the arranged marriage route, one of the things that would have been hard for me is that if someone rejects you, it's hard not to feel like that's more about who you are as a person instead of they don't romantically (laughs) want to be with you. You know what I mean? And so because I like to people please and I want people to like me and I'm always trying to like 
you know, find a place that I belong and all of this sort of stuff, I'm much more sensitive to then things making me feel like I don't belong or they don't like me or I'm a bad person or, you know, whatever, right? Like I'm much more prone to those feelings. Mm -hmm. And so being in that type of environment, instead of taking it as something like, oh, we didn't click and not (laughs) taking it as anything more than that, I think it would be hard for me. Because I already have certain feelings and thoughts and I'm working on trying to be like, those aren't true. You don't need to do that. You need to, you know, take a stand for who you are and be okay with that and be okay with being different and accept and love yourself. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm definitely working on a lot of those things. But I think I spent a lot of my childhood and somewhat of my adolescence trying to just not blend, but be a good daughter, be a good person, balance, be good, you know, Uh, and what does that even mean? (laughs) Right? You know, you talked about being a middle child, you have a lot of time to observe stuff. And I asked a lot of questions, because I was always observing things. And I really struggle with these ideas of being good and what being good means. And I think for a long time, what it meant to me was like, everybody's happy with you that you did a good job if everybody was happy in the end and satisfied Mm. regardless of how you actually may have felt about it but like Mm -hmm. it was about pleasing other people and that's what it meant to be a good person and and balancing different people's needs and stuff which then puts yourself on the back burner yeah and I've seen that a lot with people who are middle children in the conversations I've had that there's a common element in this wanting to be good Mm-hmm. or do what's expected and then reaching a certain point where you're like I can't do what's expected because <laughs> it's so against my values or beliefs and my nature and then to be like what do you do now yeah like do you fight that and go no like this is who I am and I have to love myself and accept it mm-hmm. or do you go well like you know they care about me maybe they know best they're more experienced like you know, it's easy to talk yourself out of knowing what you need <laughs> mm-hmm. and what's important to you, you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe birth order has nothing to do with that. I don't know. But I have found as I've had conversations with people, sometimes like brand new people. I met this person once for like a coffee and she was in a position that I aspired to one day potentially be in in terms of work. And so I had emailed her and I said, hey, I'm so-and-so, we met here. You know, would you mind if we connected for like a conversation? I'm, you know, doing some career exploration. And she was like, sure. And so we met and we were talking and we were talking about our experiences. And I don't know if I asked or she asked, but we were like, are you a middle child? (laughs) And then the other person was like, yes, I am. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) because you have just described my experience so to a T, right? And that's why, you know, I'm harping on this middle child piece, not to say other people don't experience it and not to say being a middle child is a unified experience because it's not. But I thought it was so funny that this person I did not even know. Yeah. And after talking for like 15, 20 minutes, we were like, wait a second. I think, (laughs) (laughs) I think you're a middle child. You must be one of us. Come to our cult of middle children. Um, But what was interesting actually about her is that she had very similar experiences, but she went the opposite direction. Like Mm. where I tried to fit in the box and I put myself in a very tightly constrained box. I think she was like, 
I see you box. I'm going to go over there. Like, <laughs> you know, she felt the same pressure and she felt everything else, but because of other aspects of her personality, she was like, I'm going to resist that and go here, you yeah. know? And so she dealt with it in a very different way, but she experienced a lot of the same feelings and had a lot of similar experiences that I had. So it was interesting to see, there's a lot of other things that go into play with how we respond to what happens to us and all, all our life experiences. So that concludes part one of our two-part episode, Diary of Two Middle Children. My question for all of you is, if you are a middle child, can you relate to some of the things that we talked about? Are you also a people pleaser, afraid of judgment, and have felt neglected in your family? And if you're not a middle child, do you relate to any of these feelings regardless? I know that feeling judged is something that's really been difficult for me. So I'd love to hear from people whether they have found that they also feel some of these feelings, as well as if you've gone the arranged marriage route, has that been something that was nerve-wracking for you? So please share with us. You can comment on this episode or on any of our posts on Instagram. Until next time, take care.